Sometimes we look back at 2017 and we think of things that we would do differently. Like, oh, if I could redo it over, I would have handled this situation in my marriage differently. Or I would have handled this situation at work differently. Or with that friendship that I had that now isn't where it was before because things, I could have done things differently. Because as we look back, you're going to find that there's always something that you fall short on. There's always a mistake that you made. There's always something that could have been better. And as you look back, it's easy to focus on those things and actually carry regret into the next year. It's easy as life goes on. Every year that we go by has more regret to carry in. Then you go through 2018 and you still keep all the regrets from the previous years, but now you add in those regrets. Then you get to 2019, and you know now you add in all those extra ones from 2018, and you just keep... That's how a lot of people live. I love the way that God approaches things like this, like a new year, like a new start. As you look at Isaiah 43, 18, and 19, it says, the Lord says, forget about what has happened before. Say, forget about it. Do not think about the past. Instead, look at the new thing I'm going to do. And sometimes we have regrets over the things of the past. And this is a new start. It's 2018. It's going to be. And we have a chance to look at the new things God's going to do. I don't have to carry all my regrets and shame into the future. I can do exactly what he says. Forget about what happened before. Don't think about the past. Look at the new thing I'm going to do. Because I believe that God wants to do new things. I think that every year he wants to do more and more great things in your life. But sometimes we hinder his work in our life. People say, well, isn't he God? Can't he just make it happen? He can. But God respects you. God respects you, and he'll allow you to hang on to the past if that's what you want. Or you can choose to look for the new thing that he wants to do in your life. Many times God wants to do something new and great in our life, but we just won't let him. We won't let him. We don't have faith. We're so messed up with the past that we're not able to see and go forward in the future. So how do you make a fresh start? I'm going to use the word start as an acrostic to help us out. What can I do to really make this year a fresh start for my life? The word S is stop making excuses. Stop making excuses. Because for me, it's hard when you make mistakes and you want to like say, oh, but it's the government. You know, or it's, I, I want to say, you know, there's, we want to rationalize it or put the blame on something else. It's the environment. It's the economy. Oh, if my parents would have raised me differently, I would have done this or that. It's easy for us to shift the blame onto everything else instead of taking responsibility for my life. Do you know life's not fair? Life is not fair. And it's never going to be fair. There's always going to be somebody that has more opportunities than I have. Okay? You know what makes you successful in life? Is taking responsibility, not blaming, taking responsibility what I do have, and then doing the best I can with what I have. But 
if I put all my attention on blame on all my circumstances, then I'm kind of giving myself an out to be a loser. I am. It's easy to give myself an out to be a loser, never succeed in anything because I didn't have this opportunity or that opportunity. Guaranteed way to fail. You might not have opportunities, but you have to say, I'm going to take what I do have and go forward. And that's where faith comes in. Don't we believe that God can work in that? Don't you believe that God can take me with all my, whatever I have that's working against me, and if I give it to God and say, God, I'm going to do the best that I can with what I do have. Don't you think God can work that and make things happen? Look at Proverbs 28, 13. A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. The whole point is, I'm taking responsibility. I'm saying, as I look at 2017, I could have handled that differently. I'm saying I. I'm taking full responsibility for things I need to do. The good thing about mistakes is mistakes give you an opportunity to learn. Okay? Mistakes become an education. So all the mistakes I made in 2017 can be used to give me a brighter 2018. I learned that that didn't work. I learned that this didn't work. So you make some changes because you're learning. And life is constantly learning. Why? Because we constantly make mistakes. Here's the key. You don't want to make the same mistake over and over again. That means I didn't learn the first time. Here's common causes of failure. Why do we fail? We don't plan ahead. We make decisions But we don't look at the consequences of those decisions. We make the decision in the moment based on how we feel. In Proverbs 27, 12, it says, A sensible man watches for problems and prepares to meet them. The fool never looks ahead and suffers the consequences. So we don't want to be foolish. We want to look ahead. We want to think, if I make this decision, could this ruin my marriage? Better think ahead. If I make this decision, could this ruin me financially? Better think ahead. Could this get me in trouble with the law? Better think ahead. Like every decision has consequences, good and bad. You have to, think, you have to really think ahead. You know, is this, is this going to pay off for me? Noah, when he built the ark, the rain hadn't come yet. He was building it. He didn't say, well... I'm told that rain's coming, so he didn't wait till he saw the rain and then decide to build the ark. He was planning ahead. He was planning ahead for what he knew was going to happen in the future. Like a savings account. You're planning ahead for, for the future. And that's what God wants us to do. You have a plan. Jesus once said, a man's not going to go and build a building until he first knows he has enough money to do it. He's not going to start building it, then it's going to be halfway done. And then he realizes, oh, I don't have any more money. You know, what am I going to do? I put the foundation and a few things up, and for what? No. Um, A king doesn't go to war without first counting how many soldiers he has and how many soldiers that other people have. Because if he's going to go to war, he wants to make sure he can win. If he's got 10,000 soldiers, they have 30,000 soldiers. The king's going to try to like, maybe we can talk this out. 
<laughs> Let's see if we can work out a deal. He plans ahead. He's saying, that's how we're to live. If part of the reason why we're not successful is we don't plan ahead. Number two, or in your notes, we don't listen to others. We don't get advice from other people. In Proverbs 15, 22, it says, plans fail without good advice. You want to listen to people. You want to get good advice. You want to listen from pe- to people that, was, that are successful in the areas that you want to be successful in. Okay. You can get advice from anybody, and I'm not saying that you can't learn from anybody, but I am saying this. If you want to be successful in the business that you're in, talk to people that are already successful in the business that you're in because they know how to get there. Don't talk to some guy that's never been there before, but I think this, or I think that. You're wasting your time. They don't know. They've never been there. One thing that I do, I don't think I've shared this with you guys, but um, uh, it was about a year ago, maybe a little bit longer back, um, I met this pastor who's got a church down in San Diego, and he's, he's, he's been pretty creative, and they're doing some great things, and, and uh, I think their church runs like about 1,200 people or something like that. But he started that church with nobody, and he just went in their community and got it going and stuff. And he started it. He, he's around my age, I want to say. But, uh, and I, he seemed like a very smart guy, a wise person. So I asked him, hey, would you mentor me? Would you mentor me? Spend some time with me. Um, um, I talked to him on the phone. We emailed each other back and forth. Uh, he's giving me, hey, read this book. This is great. You know, all these type of things. Do you know why I listen to this guy? Because he's done it. He's done it. Do you know that there's books out there on how to build a good, healthy church? And the person that wrote it was some seminary professor that's never built a church ever in his life. Never done it. And you know what? You read the book, and, and you can tell that he's never done it. You can tell. He doesn't know what he's talking about. What I like about this guy is he's actually done it. He's actually doing it. And, um, and it's something like when I look at his church, it's a, I like it because it's, sometimes a church can be large, but it doesn't mean it's healthy. You know, just like, you know, I can be big. It doesn't mean I'm big and strong. I can be big but weak. You know, but what I like about him is the things I see about his church, they seem like they're very, like a very healthy type of church because my pursuit is to have the healthiest church that we can have. I want, I want a healthy church, just like you want a healthy body, right? And the Bible, it des- describes the church as the body of Christ. I'm seeking for health, and he seems uh, to be that way. But here's the amazing thing about this. You would think... Guys like that that are doing things really healthy and strong that uh, you might have 100 pastors going to him and said, hey, what are you doing? Show me how. You know, because he's really successful and, and quick and doing things right, you know, and, and, it's, uh, and it looks good and it is good. And I'm only the second person that's ever come to him and said, hey, what are you doing? Can, what, can, uh, can I learn from you? Why is that? The average person isn't getting advice from other people. They're just satisfied with being mediocre. And I don't think that's God's will for you. I don't think that's God's will for me. Mediocre is not the goal. 
You know, the goal is success. The goal is to be the best you that you can be. But sometimes we settle for worse because we're not teachable. We don't listen to other people. There's not, you know, sometimes we're prideful and we think we already know it all. A third thing is we give up too soon. A lot of people would have success if they just hung in there. But they give up. It gets a little bit difficult, so they give up. Your marriage is going to get difficult. You don't give up. You know, your business is going to get difficult. You don't give up. You hang in there. You work through the difficulties. Proverbs says, if you give up when trouble comes, it shows that you're weak. It's guaranteed that trouble is going to come. You don't give up. You fight through it. If at first you don't succeed, welcome to the human race. Because you're not going to always succeed. Life is hard. But people give up because they quit too soon. There's this general, and he was in this war, and he lost 66% of the battles they fought in. But he kept fighting. He didn't give up. He kept fighting, didn't give up. You know, if you're losing 66% of the time, it's kind of bleak. It's not good odds. But George Washington won. Okay, he did it. He didn't give up. That's why we're a nation now. He could have given up. There's another officer that went through officer school. He finished number 42 out of 43 students. So he was one that would never become a general of all things. But Napoleon ended up conquering all of Europe, even though he was number 42 of 43. What does that mean? Nobody else believed in him. Because how would you finish 42 in a class of 43 people if your teachers believed in you? His teachers didn't believe in him. They thought he can be an officer. He passed. He can be an officer, but he's never going to be anything. And he conquers all of Europe. Why? He believed in himself. He didn't give up. He didn't allow other people's opinions of him to affect what he thought about himself. There's a guy that ran for pres- uh, I mean, ran for office, uh, political office. He lost in the state. He lost. He, he once got a two-year term. Then he ran again and lost that one. Later on, he got a four-year term, and then he lost again. And I think he only won two elections before Abraham Lincoln became president. I think he lost nine or ten elections. It's something like that. But he became president of the United States. Come on, if you're running for office and you lose three or four or five times, don't you get the point that they don't want you? But he didn't give up. He, he, he apparently believed in his cause enough to fight in there. I think of Edison when he was ma- trying to come up with the light bulb. They said he had failure after failure try, trying this chemical, that chemical. And no matter how many failures he had, he kept trying, kept trying, kept trying. You know, experiment. And then he eventually gets the light bulb. You know, but... In chemistry class, you know, if I try the experiment once or twice and it doesn't work, I give up. (laughs) Okay, I'm not a chemist. That's enough for me. How about the guy that uh, led, I don't know if it's still the record, but it used to be uh, a while back. Uh, The guy in baseball, he struck out 1,330 times. You know, who strikes out 1,330 times? Well, Babe Ruth, that's who strikes out 1,330 times. At the time, he had 714 home runs, which was at that time more than um, anybody, you know, at that time. But that's 
Unbelievable. He struck out almost twice as much. He was quoted as saying, never let the fear of striking out keep you from taking a swing. I'll tell you what, for being the strikeout champion, everybody wanted him on their team because <laughs> he hit so many home runs. John uh, um, Creasy, his, uh, he got rejected. He, he wrote books. He got rejected 753 times before he finally got a publisher that would publish one of his books. Once he got going, he got 564 books published. <laughs> How is that? That nobody wants you, and then that all these publishers read what your material is, and they say no one's going to like it. And one guy finally gets you a shot, and everybody likes it so much that he ends up selling, uh, he ends up writing and publishing more books than anybody else. You know, how can anybody write that many books in a lifetime anyway? And then I think about Macy uh, starting in retail. He tried, he had this idea about retail, so he started a store and it flopped. He lost a lot of money, but uh, he tried again. And it flopped, and he lost a lot of money. So he got a different idea of how to do retail, and then he tried it again, and then it flopped. You know, it wasn't until the eighth. He, he, he went out of business seven times before he finally decided, I'm going to start a new one. I'm going to actually call it Macy's. I'm going to name this one after me. And that's the one that made it. You know, and everybody buys at Macy's. But don't you think if you went into business to start a store and it flopped the first time, the second time, the third time, that you would get the clue that that's just not the field you should be in. But nobody's laughing at um, Macy now. See, it's too soon to quit. I think people quit and sometimes success is right around the corner and they just don't know it. Next in the word start, T. Take stock of my life. Evaluate your experiences. You know, look at what you have left after a failure. Maybe you had a financial failure you can spend all your time looking at how much money you lost. That's going to really get you encouraged. Or you can look at what you have left. Okay, I can't do what's lost, but this is what I have left. Okay, with what I have, what are the steps I need to do to start rebuilding? That's the only way. If you focus on what you lost, you're just going to give up. I'm going to tell you what. There's a lot of people that lost money many times. They're successful. I mentioned the story about Macy, right? You know, people lose money all the time, and they come out successful. They're, they become millionaires and billionaires. But a lot of them lost a lot of money in education. Education can be expensive. You know, Macy had a very expensive education. You know, he went broke seven times. <laughs> How do you do that, and then you end up making it? You know, regardless of what happens in 17, 2007, what happened in 2017, in 2018, you have more experience. You have more experience because you just experienced another year of things that you could learn from, if you learn from it. Look at Galatians 3, 4. You have experienced many things. Were all those experiences wasted? I hope not. You've experienced many things. Were all those experiences wasted? I hope not. Here's how you succeed is you don't waste the experiences that you learned last year. You don't waste them. You learn from them so you don't have to relearn it again later. Sometimes people have to, sometimes people don't learn from their mistakes. So later on, they have to relearn again. God will allow it to happen again. Okay, you didn't get it the first time. Maybe. Let's see if you can try again. And you have to make the, you know, 
How many times do you have to make the mistake over and over and over again before you get a clue that I've got to change? God gives you experiences that will help you, personal experiences. We've all gone through personal uh, experiences, relationship experiences, experiences that you've had with people, being married, um, friendships. All those experiences God will use in your life if you don't waste the experiences. Things that you've learned on the job or at school, those things, if you don't waste them, those are experiences that will, that will help you in the future. Spiritual experiences, things that you learn coming to church, things that you learn from reading your Bible. Those experiences, God will use them for your good if you don't waste them, if you actually take it in and use it. Painful experiences. Don't waste the pain. God will use those in your life if you learn from them. Just because you go through pain doesn't mean that you've learned from it. If you learn from the pain, God will use that. So you ask yourself, what have I learned? Some people have lived 40, 50 60 years, but they, have, they, don't, they haven't learned 40, 50, or 60 years worth because some of them, sometimes we don't learn from our mistakes. You want to learn from it. What are my assets? What do I have going for me? Like you might feel like, oh, you know, my life is ruined. They say, well, do you have your health? Well, yeah, I have health. Um, you have freedom, right? You live in the United States, right? So you have freedom to do a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. Are you mentally sound? Yeah. Do you have friends that love you and care about you? Yeah. Do you have the Lord? Yeah, I believe in God. Do you have a church family? Yeah. Your life's not ruined. Look at all those assets you had. See, sometimes they think, they look financially, oh, that, I, I got ruined financially. With all those assets, there's no reason why you can't climb back to the top. There's no reason. Next, who can help me? Are there people out there that can give me help? I love the fact that I met this guy in San Diego, and I'm spending time with him, and he's giving me wise advice. There's people out there that can help you. So you can always learn something. There's people that will help you with your marriage. There's people that will help you with your job, with every aspect of your life, if you're willing to seek it. When you're making a fresh start, some of your experiences are faulty. So, for example, you're in third grade, some PE teacher tells you that you're uncoordinated. And now you're 40 years old and you believe that you're uncoordinated because of what somebody said to you, you know, 32 years ago. Okay? People do that. People have an experience when they're a child and it affects them later on. I know of this woman who her uncle used to see her and grab her cheeks and say, you're such a fat child. You're such a fat child. And that's haunted her her whole life. It's haunted her her whole life. Uh, she, she, you know, he probably meant it like, you're a cute child. You know what I mean? Like I, I tell my little boy, you're such a chubby little fellow. I think he's a cute little boy. You know, but it's how you process it. It's, it's what you think about it. And she saw it in a way that she carried it on in her life. And sometimes your parents say something when they're angry, like you're a child, and out of anger, they say something, and you remember it, it was when you're a child, and you're hanging on to that as if that's your identity. You know, my, my dad always said I'd never amount to anything, and you were like 11 years old, and it's because you weren't taking the trash out when you were asked to. 
He's thinking, I'm never going to amount to something. But he just said that, you're never going to amount to anything if you can't take on responsibility. And then you hang on that. He said, I'm never going to amount to anything. People do that. And now you're grown up and you're still hanging on to these things that were said to you that weren't true to begin with. We believe stuff. We're very impressionable when we're children. And we hang on to these things and we let it affect our identity, our self-image. You got to let that stuff go. People teach you lies all the time. Let it go. Don't hang on to that. Hang on to God's word. It will teach you the truth. Next, next in the word start, A is act in faith. Make 2018 like you're, you're launching out into new territory. You can make any changes you want to. If you want to change a circumstance, it takes faith. Let me tell you why. If I don't believe I can change that circumstance, I won't try. But if I believe I can do it, I'll try. It takes faith. I have to believe it's possible. God says, act out in faith. Look at Matthew 9, 29. According to your faith, will it be done to you? Do you know what this means to me? That the guy that says I can and the guy that says I can't are both right. If I believe I can't do it, I won't try. If I believe I can, I'll try. If I believe I can, it takes faith to believe it. I believe I can do it. That means I have faith I can do it. So I try I don't believe I can do it. I don't have faith I can do it, so I don't try. Because you'll never try if you don't believe it's possible. So according to your faith, it will be done to you. So that tells me it's putting the responsibility on me. I need to expect more from myself to succeed more. I need to expect more from God. I need to believe that more can happen. Because if you don't believe it, you won't try Guaranteed. Why would you try to do something that you know can't happen? To act in faith. I can't feel sorry for myself. I can't think, well, I don't have this. I don't have that. I've got to believe in something bigger than myself. I've got to try. Regret's just going to hold me back. Real success is built on failure. It is. That's how you learn things. It's by your mistakes. If you choose to. And since we all make a lot of mistakes, we're all, we have the ability to be constantly learning. We don't always do that, but we have the ability to be constantly learning because we all make mistakes. And have you ever made mistakes when parenting and you learn from it and say, I'm not going to handle it like that anymore? Now you could feel guilty for the rest of your life because of a bad decision you made. Or you can learn from it and be a better parent. But you're not going to be a perfect parent. You're going to make mistakes. Have you ever made a mistake in your marriage and said, well, I'm not going to do it like that again, right? What does that mean? Because you're learning. You could, you could feel regret forever about all, like, why would, would I do that? That was a bad decision for the marriage. That wasn't smart. You can hang on to the regret or you can learn from it and be, become a better husband, become a better wife. What you're not going to do is you're never going to reach a point where you don't make mistakes. Mistakes are going to happen. The key is, do I learn from them and change? Am I educated by those mistakes? Or am I uneducated by those mistakes? But the mistakes are going to happen. Mistakes can be the best thing that ever happened in your marriage. 
It can be the best thing that ever happens in your education at school. Mistakes that you make that make you think, I better change my study habits so I can be more successful. Mistakes are the, can be the best thing that ever happens at work. Have you ever thought about Microsoft? All the mistakes they've made? Think about it. People think of Bill Gates as being a genius and, and because, you know, he's very wealthy and stuff. But I don't know if you remember this. Windows 1.0, it was a fiasco. And 2.0, it was a disaster. And 3.0 was a little better, but it wasn't good. It wasn't until they got Windows 3.1 that they had success. But the, at the beginning, their stuff was bad. Explorer 1 and 2, it was terrible. And 3 wasn't much better. It wasn't until they got to Explorer 4 that they were solid. What I learned about Bill Gates is, as I've read up on him, he's more street smart than he is a genius. Because think about it. Here's what he does. They would put a product out there, and at the beginning, their products weren't that good, but here's how they were street smart. He would see what this other product looked like that other people were doing, and he said, I like that part of that one. Let's figure out how we can add that into ours. He'd look at this one. Oh, I like this part of theirs. So much of his information came from other people's products. What is it? If you steal from one person, plagiarism, if you steal from a lot of people, research, he had a lot of research. And, you know, he was, he, was, he was being smarter. He was working smarter, not harder. He was learning from what other people are doing. You know, I see these game shows sometimes where there's on these teams and they're trying to build something. And I see some of the people, they're having trouble building it. So they start looking at what the other guys are doing. Oh, that's how you, and then they go back and they end up winning. You know, they stole their information from the other guy. A lot of success has to do with that ability to look around and learn from other people. See what everybody else is doing, and you can come, become very successful. Proverbs 16.9 says, we should make plans counting on God to direct us. Make plans for 2018. If you don't make plans for 2018, you know what you're going to do? You're going to live out somebody else's plans. But what if that other person's plans aren't the best thing for your life? So you make your own plans for 2018, this is where I'm going to go. But then it says that God directed you, which means you make a plan, I'm going to head in a direction. But you have to adjust it as you go. Sometimes as things go, you have to make adjustments. You have to adjust it here and there. Because things, it's like uh, Windows 1.0. Thank God he made some adjustments, right? So you make adjustments as you go, but you have a plan. You have to head somewhere. It's less important for success it's less important that you reach your goals. It's more important that you have a goal. Because whether you reach your goal or not, it's because you won't always reach your goal. But what a goal does is it gets you moving. Gets you moving. Okay, here's my goal. So that's what I'm going to do. So you have to make a plan. How am I going to get there? And then you have a plan. Okay, for me to get there, I'm going to do this and this and this. And, and it gets you moving. But without a goal, what does it mean? You don't move. Guaranteed failure. You want to fail in life, don't have a goal. Guaranteed failure. When you don't have a goal, you hit it every time. Okay. But if you want success, you're going to have a goal, and you're not going to hit it every time, but you're moving. You're going in a direction. Something gets accomplished. Something does. And that's why you don't want to give up. You want to keep going. You want to keep trying. You want to have a goal. People are afraid to have a goal because they feel like they're going to look like a fool. 
Like, what if I say, this is my goal, and I don't reach it? People are going to think, oh, you didn't reach your goal. They put all these games in your mind. Let me tell you this. If you have a worthwhile goal, you probably won't reach it. You probably won't. But if you have a worthwhile goal, you're going to do something. Let me put it this way. If you have a worthwhile goal, uh, this time next year, you're going to feel more successful than you do right now. You're going to feel more successful this time next year than you do right now, if you have a goal. Because that means you're going to get somewhere. You're going to do something that moves you down the road. You're going to be farther along than what you are now, but without a goal, you don't move anywhere. We as a church, we have to have goals. Let me, I was talking about the guy that mentors me. One of the things that's, and, and he's 100% right, is uh, churches have to have goals, which I've always known. But he said, a pastor can share a goal, but if the people in the church thinks it's, okay, that's the pastor's goal, then it's guaranteed failure. Because a church is not the pastor, the church is the people. You know, the church is not a building, Right? The church is the body of Christ. It's us. Who is the church? It's us. We are the church. And he says, a pastor can lead and say, let's have a goal. Our goal is to be in average attendance next year by this time, our average attendance, 150 people a weekend. That can be a goal. That is my goal. That's my goal. But he says, as long as it's my goal, it means nothing. It's just something I say. It has, the only way that it's a goal is when it becomes your goal. Like we, all of us have to say, okay. That's my goal then. All of us. Because we're the body of Christ. We're the church. Now, someone said, well, Jimmy, why would... Okay, you just picked a number out of the sky, which I didn't really pick it out of the sky. It's something that I've been thinking through. Like, what would be a, the goal for next year? Um, but why would we have a goal for 150 people? Well, we all know the spiritual reason why. I think everybody does. The spiritual reason why you have a goal for reaching people for Christ is... Marriages will get healed. Families will be healed. There's people that are addicted to things. They're messing up their life. And through the church and ministry, their life gets together. There's people that don't know Jesus, that need to know Jesus. And, you know, we all know the spiritual reasons why you, you have goals to reach people. But there are practical reasons, too. There are very practical reasons. Like, is it selfish for all of us to say, what's in it for me? See, a lot of times in churches, we think, a church saying, what's in it for me? That's selfish. But I don't think that is selfish. I think there's wisdom to that. We have to say, what's in it for me? And then you have to think about it. Like, if we had a, a 150 people, that's about double what we've been averaging. If we have 150 people on average per week, well, what does that mean? That means we probably have, probably if we have double the people, we might have double the people that can help with the kids. Anybody that has a kid downstairs, you're thinking that, we need, you know, it's, and people that work with the kids, you understand that we're limited on the number of workers. What's in it for me? Better quality stuff for my kids. I have kids. To me, that's very important. If someone says, are you selfish, Jimmy? You want more people here so your kids can have a better experience at church? Absolutely. I'm not stupid. You know, how about money-wise? If we had double the people, we'd have very likely double the money. What would that do We'd have the money to have better, you know, better quality with, uh, we want to get a new carpet in here. There, there's, there's, when you have more money, you're not like, you know, like so tight with things. You can actually say, what would, what would make things better for us all? And you could have the money to do it. 
but it'd be great. Like, oh, we need a new carpet. So we get it. We get it. You know, we work it out. We don't have to have the all torn up carpet. But if you don't have the money, you just do with what you do. But when you bring new people in, this is what they see. I see it. To me, I, I want something better. But uh, when you have more money, it makes a difference. And who benefits? Us. We're the ones that get to enjoy this place. You know, we're the ones that... Uh, so you certainly ask, what's in it for me? Absolutely. That's a question you want to ask yourself. A goal should be done because, first of all, and primarily, this is God's will. We have to reach people. But it should benefit your life, too. It should benefit your life. Um, if there's 150 people, let's say, and you're a single adult, that doubles the amount of single adults. So now let's say we have a single adult gathering and say, hey, let's go out and do something. It, sometimes, and things like that, it's more fun to go out on a single adult like fun event with 14 people than with six. Just sometimes it's more fun because you're more apt to find someone that you connect with. I'm not talking about hooking up for dating necessarily. I'm not, but I'm just saying <laughs> I could be a single adult guy, and if there's 14 people there, there's more apt for me to find a guy in the group that I could become. Like we connect, we could actually be, be good friends. But when there's six, there might be less opportunity for me to find that guy that I said, wow, I really connect with him. I could love them all and be friendly with them, but come on. Numbers, the more people there, there's a better chance that I'm going to find a friend. And if you're single, isn't it better to find somebody in a setting like this than at some bar? I think so. So what's in it for me? You better ask that. That's, that's not being un unspiritual. It's only unspiritual if you're not really primarily thinking, we need to do this because people need God, obviously. So I have a goal for 150 people. I want you to make that your goal. And then, um, and that would mean you bring people that you think you can bring. You invite people. It probably means financially there's risk involved because I'm going to be, be putting uh, money into advertising to bring people in. With the faith and belief, I'm going to act in faith and do it and trust that God's going to connect with the right people and bring them in. But there's always risk involved with anything that you're doing. If there's no risk involved, then it's not really a goal. It's something you already have. Proverbs 29, 25 says, being afraid of people can get you into trouble. The number one thing I think that prevents people from acting out in faith is they're afraid of what people think of them. Like, if I'm afraid of what people think, I won't do it. Here's what I've learned about life. Don't worry what people think. Ask yourself, what would God think? That's what you would need to be worried about. You know, what would God think? What would God think if I did this? What would God think if I don't do it? If you're asking that question, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what they think. But if I'm worried about what people think and I don't obey God, I've got some serious problems. My life is not heading the right direction. I don't care if all your friends are behind it. You're making a big mistake if you know that's not what God wants. Then R is refocus my thoughts. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. If I'm going to have success in life, it has a lot to do with what, the way I think. Like I was saying earlier, if I don't think I can do it, I won't try so if I want to have success, I have to start believing that it's possible. It's how you think. If you're feeling, if you're acting depressed, 
Why are you acting depressed? Because you feel depressed. Why do you feel depressed? Because you're thinking of all the stuff that depresses you, right? That's the only reason. Now, there's only one way that you can change that, and it's not, I've got to change the way I feel. Will not work. Never, never works. You can't change the way you feel, but you can change what you think. You can take those things that, uh, that you, you, you can even take something like this. Wow, I lost my life savings. Okay? And you can feel depressed about it. And then you can say, but you can change the way you're thinking about it. Hmm. If God ultimately didn't stop this from happening, and the Bible says all things work together for my good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, and that's what the Bible says, then that means this is something for me to learn from for a better future. If God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in the future, and since that's what he says, then that means that this is all part of that learning process to make me better. And now, I'm, now my mind think, my mind changes. Okay, if God's going to use this for my good, then what can I learn from this to start heading in that direction? And then I'm feeling, because I believe this, I'm feeling God's going to use that for my good, because that's what I feel. And you know what comes out? Not depression. You know what comes out? It's peace. He said he was depressed before. He's peace. What's the difference? What happened to you? What changed your feelings? The way I thought about it. The way you think about it changes the way you feel. The way you feel about it changes the way you act. You can't change your feelings. You can change the way you think. Once you change the way you think, that will change the way you feel. It will change the way you act, and it will change your whole life around. And you'll be amazed at some of the things that you can go through and come out ahead simply because you changed the way you thought about it. But a lot of people don't have success because they never change the way they think. In Psalms verses 1 through 3, it says, Happy are those who are always meditating on God's word. They are like trees along a river. They do not dry up. They succeed in everything they do. Circle the words happy and succeed. I like those words. I want to be happy and I want to succeed. I think you want to be happy. I think you want to succeed. So it says how? Circle the word meditating. Meditating on God's word. Meditating isn't something mystical. In Eastern religion, it comes out that way, but the definition of this word means to focus, to concentrate on, to think about something over and over. So what it's saying is, here's what it really means. It says, you can read the Bible and let it go in one ear and out the other, okay? And you don't have happiness and you don't have success. You can hear a message from the Bible like what we're doing now, and, you can, and it can go in one ear or out the other. Or you, or you remember it here, but you walk out the door and you kind of forget about it, and you don't have success and you don't have happiness. Okay, what it's saying is meditate means you focus on it, you concentrate on it, you think about it over and over again. So the difference would be when you're reading, like you're reading a chapter in the Bible, you don't say, read the chapter and check it off your to-do list. I'm, my goal is to read through a chapter every day. And then you walk away and you don't think about it. Because what does that really do for you? If you want happiness and success, it would mean I'm reading the Bible. I'm thinking about it. I'm writing down notes. You might even see something in there like, I want to memorize this one. You write it down on a memory card and start memorizing it. What it means is you're focusing on it. You're concentrating on it. Because how many things have you heard that you forget about that you never think about again? Most things. Do you know that they say when you preach a message... Uh, 85% of the things I'm going to say, 
By Wednesday, it's totally out of your mind. You'll never think about it again. Again, totally out of your mind. So I put all these hours into putting a, a sermon together that 85% of it you're never going to think about again. So, but I hope the 15% that you do think about is meditate on God's Word. When I'm reading the Bible, I'm going to get everything out of it that I can. I'm going to concentrate. I'm going to focus. And then if I do that, I'm going to have success, and I'm going to be happy. It's going to give you a better life. A lot of the reasons why our life isn't going as well as it could be is I'm not really allowing God's Word really in. I believe it. I love it. I'm just not really letting it in all the way that I'm really getting it into my lifestyle. What I like about the Bible is it's, it's I'll read it, and you'll read stories about, you know, this guy murdered somebody, and this person was an adulterer, and this person was a liar and a cheat. This person did this despicable thing. And then they turn to God, and they become heroes. Heroes. You guys know that Moses was a murderer, right? Maybe you don't, huh? But it's not something that people think about. Why? Because when you hear about Moses, you hear about the Ten Commandments, you hear about all this amazing stuff that he did after he turned to God. A lot of people forget that before that, he murdered somebody. They just forget. Oh, he was a murderer? How about Paul, St. Paul? You know, he was a murderer, right? You say, no. Well, he was at least part of it. He was there when Stephen was preaching the gospel. He gathered his group together, and he took everybody's coats so that they were free to pick up stones and kill them, and he was cheering them on. Kill that guy. Teach him to talk about Jesus. That's the guy that wrote most of the New Testament after he became a Christian. That's the guy that we just did a 12-week study on through the book of Philippians after he became a Christian. That's the guy that wrote most of the things that I teach about on character after he became a Christian. He was the guy that was murdering Stephen. See, we forget that sometimes. King David, you know, guy that killed Goliath in war and uh, greatest king of their whole history... Uh, committed murder and adultery. Well, he didn't technically commit murder. He, he committed adultery with this guy's wife, so he put that guy in the front lines, and then he told everybody else to retreat, except for him, so they'd kill him. And then he married his wife. Okay, I'm guilty of some bad things, okay? But I've never even thought about being that bad. It's not even part of my... So here's what I like about the Bible. If these people did some horrible, horrible things. And when they repented and turned to God, God turned their life and did that with them. I've not done anything like that. God can certainly do something with me. Because I don't have any of that baggage. I might have some baggage, but come on. I don't have nothing like that. I'm not ever going to deal with guilt like those guys had to deal with guilt and regret and shame. You know, I'm, I'm multiple steps ahead of them. So I'm just telling you, no matter what you fell you've gone through, God can take you and use you for great things. Jonah was told to obey God and do something, and Jonah didn't want to, so he went the complete opposite way. He actually was told to get on a boat, go and talk to these people in Nineveh, and he said, God, I don't like those people. He got on a boat and went the complete opposite way. So God did put him on some sort of Mediterranean cruise that you can read about later. But <laughs> at the end of that cruise, he was really messed up. But here's what God did. He said, Jonah, 
I told you to obey me. You didn't zap. No, actually, that's not what he did. Okay, here's what he said. And the word of the Lord came into Jonah a second time. Do you know what this means? He flat out disobeyed everything God told him to do. So God said, okay, you know, have it your way. You know, treat it like Burger King, right? Have it your way. And then what happened was he had it his way, and his life was horrible. And then God came to the second time, and he said, hey, are you happy with life? And he's not. And he said, hey, I'm going to give you a second chance. Go talk to those people. And you know what Jonah did? He got up, and he went and talked to those people. He went and talked to those people. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I don't care what you've done that you feel guilty for, regret and shame. God's going to come to you a second time. He's going to say, what you did was bad. Okay, let's try again. That's the God of the Bible. He is not the God that zaps you. Anybody that has that view of God, like you're lining up, you don't know the God of the Bible. That's not the God that Jesus talks about. And then T in the word start is trust God to help me. God, I can't do it without your help. If I want a fresh start, I've got to quit trying and I need to start trusting. And here's what I mean by that. When I try and try and try, you know, if I had the ability to do it, it would have already been done. What I have to do is I need to trust him. God, I need to trust you to help me. God, what do you want me to do? I'm going to trust him and just do what he says. What do you want me to do? Okay, I trust you. I'll do that. Okay, what next? Okay, I'll trust you. I'll do that. Am I going to trust God and do what he says? And Zechariah 4, 6 says, you will not succeed by your own strength and power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. <clears throat> it's by God's help. God, I need your help. I cannot do it without your help. We see it all the time, you know, like in AA and those, uh, you know, where someone believes in a power higher than themselves and now they can stop drinking. Why? They're trusting God. In 2 Corinthians five seventeen, it says, when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He is not the same anymore. A new life has begun. God's in the business of giving you fresh starts. That's what he does. He gives you fresh starts. So maybe you're here today and in 2017, you really have some regrets. You wish you could do this different. You wish you could do that different. Those are all experiences to give you a better 2018 if you learn from them. So let's make a commitment. Let's learn from these things. Let's learn from my mistakes and then put them behind me, but learn from them so I don't make them again. And that means 2018 doesn't become a year with all those regrets I had and now another year of regret added onto it. It's now become all this education that I've had to make me better. And now I've even added another year of education because mistakes is what teaches you a lot of times. I've added another year of education. 2018 is better. That's why those people like Macy and Abraham Lincoln and all those people, they had a lot of failure, but they succeeded. That's why, is they learn from their mistakes. That's why we have light bulbs. He learned from his mistakes. So let it make you better. With all the stuff, mistakes I've made, man, I'm, I should do really good this year. You know, because you know now, at least you've eliminated on what not to do. When you eliminate those things, it kind of narrows it down to what you need to do. One time in Israel, these locusts came and they ate up all the plants and the people were actually going to starve, it looked like, because their crops were ruined that year. And God said to them, I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. 
I'm going to restore it. I'm going to restore it. Maybe that's you. Maybe you feel like, man, 2017, oh, I feel like I'm ruined. And God is saying, I'm going to restore. I'm going to restore that year that, that you lost. It's going to work out. In Isaiah, he said to the people, uh, their uh, city was burned to ashes. And he said, I will give you beauty for ashes. He's saying, you're looking at things, you're feeling like you're ruined. And he said, no, you're not. I will give you beauty for ashes. So God, you might feel like, oh, my life's not where it needs to be. Trust in God. You'll be amazed at what God will do if you'll let him. Let's pray. Dear God, only you can fully know the heart, hurt in my heart and the hurts that we go through. You know how we fall and how we fail, the things that we're ashamed of. You know how we've hurt other people, the mistakes that we've made. And Lord, that's where we're relying on you most of all for a fresh start. And Lord, each of us want to take a responsibility for our lives. We don't want to come up with excuses and, and you know, focus on the opportunities that we haven't gotten that other people might have. Lord, we want to take what we do have and become the best that we can be, trusting that you'll make the difference. Lord, forgive us for the times that uh, we don't take advice from others. We don't even take advice from you. Lord, we want to be people of your word, that we look at your word. We want to meditate on it so we can have success, so that we can be happy. We want to have great lives. We know that you want to give us the best life possible. Lord, we're trusting you. We're thanking you. We're giving 2018 to you, and we're going to rely on you, and we're going to live for you and trust that you'll make the difference. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.